Thank you for joining us today. Let us be the first to say, Welcome home. To keep you up to date on what's happening at John Wesley, here are a few announcements. Are you a first-time guest? Be sure to stop by our Welcome Center for more information on how you can get more involved through our online services and classes. We would like to take this time to thank you for your faithfulness in joining us every Sunday and for your support to JW through giving. We invite you to give online, mail, through text, or in the offering boxes on your way out. Let's continue to connect people to Jesus. We encourage you to continue to visit our website at www.jwumc.org or visit our social media pages for up-to-date information on Sunday services, safety guidelines, and upcoming events. So please join us in welcoming Pastor Cheryl Smith as we continue the sermon series, Just As He Promised. now for the reading of the gospel from John 12 verses 20 through 33 now among those who went to worship at the festival were some Greeks they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and said to him sir we wish to see Jesus Philip went and told Andrew then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus and Jesus answered them the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. But Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was to die. The words of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. You may be seated. So you have just heard the text from which our sermon comes today. Every sermon you hear on Sunday has grown out of from a biblical text. So since this sermon and every other one you will hear from the John Wesley pulpit has as its foundation a text from scripture, 
one would think that the scripture was worth listening to. So we're going to have a little contest this morning. Would my rovers get in place? The title of this sermon series we're in during Lent is Just As He Promised, and this is the fourth week in that series. So you already had a heads up that the sermon and the text was going to be about a promise. Promises made by God that God fully intends to keep. Promises that are secure even when we cannot see their fulfillment in our lifetime. So here is the question about our text for this morning. Now do not open your Bible or your device and look it up. That would be cheating. This is based on whether you listened. See if you caught it when it was presented. The first person to be able to recall the promise in this passage will receive... A $10 bill. Now, don't laugh. I didn't have a $100 bill to give to you. $10 is $10. So if you remember the promise that was included in John 12, 20 through 33, please raise your hand and one of my assistants will come to you with the mic. What promise was offered by God in this passage? Crickets chirping. Okay, I see one hand raised here. Let's see. Let's see. Okay, that is a promise. Frankly, this whole text was full of promises. That is a good one. I'm not sure you get the $10, though. That was one of them. Anybody else remember a promise that we read in the scripture? Okay, we've got another one back here, Larry. Right right back here. We've got someone who thinks they heard a promise this morning. Who was? Is it that if you lose your life, you will gain it? Okay, if you lose your life, you will find it. That's also a promise. That's not the one I had in mind, however, Terry. I said this text was full of promises. Anybody else? Okay, we've got someone else. Where I shall go, you, where I go, you will be with me. Good, Judy. That's another good promise. That's another good promise. I'll give you a hint. There is a promise in there about what God will do if you follow. I'm just giving it all to you here. Okay, Beth, back here. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, we have someone. Uh, that you will die, but you will have eternal life. All right, if you die, you'll have each I told you this text was full of promises. Shame on you for not getting them. Okay, there, there's another one that I'm looking for, though. Let's see if Beth has got it. Those who follow me, my Father will honor. Hot diggity dog. Here we go, Beth. You are the winner of $10. Come on. Come on and get it. Now, as many of you noticed... There were many promises in this text, many encouragements. You're going to put it on the altar, okay. Okay, all right, we'll find a good place for that to go. You and I will discuss where it goes. All right, there, there were many promises, but the one I'm going with this morning is the one about God honoring us if we will follow. Now, that was such an invigorating exercise, and I know you enjoyed it so much that we're going to do it one more time. I wonder, all right, so here, is the, here was the answer to the first one, right? Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. 
Let's see what else we can get out of this passage. Would anybody be able to identify the pivot in this story? If you studied literature in high school or college, you know that usually there's a pivot in the plot. This story starts out going in one direction and then it pivots and it takes a sharp turn. Raise your hand again if you know what the pivot was. There's $5 coming to you on this one. Okay. When the people heard God speaking. When did they hear God speaking? Well, they thought it was thunder. They thought it was thunder. That's good. I'm glad you noticed that. But that happened after the pivot. <laughs> what was the pivot? The story starts out going in this direction, and then it makes a sharp turn. What was that pivot? that caused the story to change. Come on, $5, $5, you know you want it. <laughs> Just think about what happened at the beginning of the story. Who comes to the disciple? Some Greeks. And then something happens. All right, nobody, nobody. I guess this is gonna have to go on the altar too. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. We, Sheila thinks she knows. What's the pivot of the plot? I think it's when he begins to talk about the wheat that has to fall into the ground. Yes. And yes. what happened right before that? What prompted him to start talking about that? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Help her out, folks. She wants the $5. Oh. <laughs> the disciples came and told Jesus that the Greeks wanted to speak with him, and everything changed. Sheila, this is yours. Okay, just, leave it up there. just leave it up there, she says. I love this. I love this. I know some missions that are fixing to get some money. Okay, so here's the rule. You are not allowed to tell your friends that you see in Sunday school what's going on here. You can tell them to listen very carefully to the uh, scripture, but you do not tell them what the questions are. That would be cheating. So yes, this story begins with a running narrative about some Greek people coming to Philip and Andrew, both of whom bore Greek names, by the way, and they're asking for an audience with Jesus. Now there's more than one reason the Greeks could have wanted an audience with Jesus. One possibility is that these Greeks were what were called God-fearers, those who were not Jewish but who believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They could have been seeking to learn more. They were, they were interested. They'd heard about Jesus and thought he might possibly be the Messiah. We don't know because the text did not expand on the purpose of their request. Another possibility is that these Greeks were not God-fearers, but they were from the aristocratic Greek class. This means they would have been schooled in Greek logic, rhetoric, ethics, and debate. The great philosophers Socrates and Plato and Aristotle were all Greek. They lived and taught during the 6th century BCE about the same time that the Jews were returning from their exile in Babylon. All that was going on at the same time. We, um, we can find influences of Greek philosophy in the scripture, especially in the writings of Paul. Greek philosophy was in good stead in that first century. So no, we don't know exactly why the Greeks were seeking an audience with Jesus. Apparently, the reason was not important to move the main storyline forward, so that wasn't included. But note 
that the request, the very request, serves as a signal to Jesus. From that point onward, sharp turn, Jesus traverses a fault line and everything changes. Earlier in John 2, when his mother tried to get him to intervene at the wedding feast, you remember that she wanted him to produce more wine, he told her, my time has not yet come. And then again in chapter 7 of John, when the Jewish leaders want Jesus to come to Jerusalem, he says, my time has not yet come. But now at the very mention of the Greeks, he declares the time has come. For the Son of God, Son of Man, to be glorified. Now, some biblical scholars have thought that there was a temptation offered from the Greeks when they sought Jesus. Did they want to offer him a different path? A path, maybe, to be educated in the formal philosophy and serve as a philosopher himself. That thought is not out of the question because Jesus was already a wisdom teacher, he already was bringing a different kind of logic than the Jewish people were used to hearing. When he talked about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, there was a whole different way of thinking that he was promoting. Jesus reflected on common experience and he told stories through parables that took people to a new way of thinking. He was a prime candidate for becoming a philosopher. Had he taken that opportunity, he would have had the pleasure of developing his mind and having the prestige of an esteemed philosopher and teacher. But with Jesus, just like with us, taking one opportunity means that we have to lay some others aside. Just think about it. What if Jesus had seen an escape from the passion that was before him, and he took it, bolted, made a life for himself, like we try to do. What if he had chosen to live longer? That's a pretty strong drive for human beings. What if he wanted to enjoy some accolades, to be recognized as an intellectual, to live a life of luxury compared to the hard, nomadic life that he had been living? What if he chose to do something, anything, other than what lay before him? Because we know what lay before him in the next week. In this passage, the curtain is drawn back, and we see that Jesus actually struggles with the decision in front of him. Have you ever struggled about a decision? Well, take heart. So did Jesus. He's thinking, do do I continue walking down this path, the one that will lead to suffering and death, or do I choose something else? Does he take a more desirable path? Almost any other path would be more desirable than the one he was on. He struggles, and and he immediately begins trying to explain to Philip and Andrew the purpose of a grain of wheat, how it must die to produce fruit. They must have thought this was a strange response to their announcements that some Greeks wanted to see him. Jesus' response was what's referred to as a non sequitur, a conclusion that does not follow from the premise. The the apostles must have thought, "What, what, Jesus, what are you? What are you talking about? And then Jesus' soliloquy gets even more bizarre. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. 
Have you ever had to make a decision that has such clear-cut consequences? Have you ever had to decide the entire direction of your life in one moment? Decisions of that magnitude are rare, and many of us will never have to make a decision about life or death, but nevertheless, we make decisions every day. This morning, you had to decide what to eat for breakfast. Last night, you had to decide when to go to bed and whether you would allow for adequate sleep. This evening, there are students who will have to decide whether to get their homework done or to blow it off as a final farewell to spring break. Every single day, we must decide things that shape our character, such as, will I tell the absolute truth today? Will I be kind to people even if they're not kind to me? Will I obey the law or I will, will I fudge it whenever possible? We continually have to decide, will I eat healthy or not? Will I exercise or not? Will I save money or not? Will we prioritize our Christian faith or not? Our days are filled with decisions. Most of them are not too weighty, but even the smallest decisions have consequences. I want to draw our attention this morning to how we make decisions. How is it that we're to decide what we're to do, what, what path to take? There are so many choices, so many paths. How are we to decide? What is most important in our lives is not simply the decisions we make, but on what basis we make them. When you make choices, do you choose what is most appealing? Do you go for what's most convenient? Do you choose the path that will make the most money? Choose what will be best for your family? Identify what you want and then go for it? Do you choose the easiest path? Are you drawn to what is the most fun? I suggest to you that had Jesus used any of those as a basis for his decision, the outcome of our Christian story would be quite different. So just what basis did Jesus use for making his decision? In the end, he looked to the Father for guidance, as he always did. And he ended up deciding to follow the purpose that his Father had placed before him. So what about you? Do you have values that help you make decisions? What are they? Do any of us have it within us in the face of what looks like a better offer to make a choice that will be true to our purpose but might require that we give up our life? Do we have that in us? Well, I have some inconvenient truths for us. Because immediately upon choosing the hard path for himself, when Jesus says, it is for this that I have come and I'm born, even as he was talking about his own purpose, Jesus talked about us. Remember what he said next? Those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must Follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. You hear that promise? Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. 
So this then is how we are to make decisions. If we're to be followers of Jesus, we're not to consider our own lives as being the ultimate priority. Now, I know that comes as a shock to most of us raised in this culture. Our life is non-ultimate. We are to consider our purpose, our calling, our identity in Christ. That is how we are to make decisions. I'm always intrigued by Christians who are teetering on the edge of surrendering to Christ and letting Christ define them. That switch, you know, doesn't really happen all at once. It takes time and multiple steps toward relinquishment. I'm privileged to study with a a men's group at 6.30 on Wednesday mornings, and we've been studying the book, The Cost of Discipleship. And it's been interesting in this group to see people struggle with what exactly is the cost of discipleship. Most of us are not as clear as Jesus was when the Greeks came and he had to decide. Even he was tempted But he did not falter. He knew who he was and he knew what he had to decide if he were to stay true to his purpose. But we're typically a little less clear, aren't we? We get into our minds early on that we can do anything we put our minds to. It's not a bad concept entirely. We tell that to our children as we're raising them. But here's the deal. Most of us do not develop a compass to go with that belief. We actually believe that we can do anything we want to and we don't have the moral compass that needs to go alongside. We cheer ourselves on with the belief that we can do whatever we want and then we begin to think in terms of success and education and money and building a good life. But most of us do not develop the humility before God to ask over and over again what God would have us do with the life that we have been given Jesus took the time to check himself. It's not that he didn't think about something more pleasing. It's right there in the scripture. He went through all those choices, but he didn't choose the path that was most pleasing. He remembered who he was. And what happened next was confirmation of that. In a dramatic event that some thought was thunder and some thought was the speech of angels, a voice boomed out and the father reassured his son because Jesus no, had, no doubt had a bit of a sick feeling in his stomach that he had already glorified his name and he would do it again. Those who follow will be honored That's actually the whole crux of the sermon. I could have just said that at the beginning and we could have gone home early. But maybe you, like me, need a little unpacking and a little rolling around in the concept to get it. By giving our life to something bigger than our convenience, bigger than our prestige or our comfort or our financial success, we end up dying to ourselves and being honored by God. Now, the interesting thing is not everyone is asked to give the same thing. Not everybody has the same call. Most people actually get to live a long life. Most people are not called to suffer and be beaten and tortured. God doesn't call everyone to the same thing. And the even better news is that God equips each one of us for whatever it is that God calls us to. If you're called to be a martyr, which I doubt... But if you're called to be a martyr, just rest assured that God will provide you everything you need to step up. 
And if you get called to be in ministry or a missionary, don't worry about that either. God will equip you and make your journey joyful. None of us need to wonder about what the cost will be if we live into the purpose that God has set before us. We already know the cost. Here it is, in case you've forgotten, we must disregard the importance of our own life. We must prioritize something or someone higher than our lives, and we must follow, not lead. That's what Jesus said in John 12, and he promised that if we followed him, God would honor us. That's a promise. And I believe that whatever I'm called upon to do, I will be sustained for that call. Do you believe that? You might want to think about it. So what do you need to do to die to self, to stay true to the purpose for which God is calling you? What kinds of decisions do you need to make so that at the end of each day, you can look back over the day and say, it is for this that I was called to this hour? Most of us live quite ordinary lives, myself included. We may never have a moment like Jesus had when the whole of our reality pivots and we are on a march toward a hard destiny. Most of us would do quite well if we could just decide to remember to speak kindly instead of harshly to our spouse. That'd be a good decision. Or if we could decide to go ahead and take that casserole to the sick neighbor. Or if we would decide to consider offering grace to people who irritate us rather than offering judgment. How about if we decided to take an informed interest in our institutions of government and to pray for our leaders? Maybe we should decide to think through the basis of our decisions and then think through it again tomorrow and then again the next day. How about if we decided to be aware of the value that we project onto our children in the ways we treat them? and in the ways we speak to them? How about if we decided to write that note to the older person who hasn't been able to get out very much? If we decided to pick up the phone and check on someone you haven't seen in a very long time, how about if we decided to consider on a daily basis how the financial resources we have might serve the kingdom of God and then make sure that we don't hold on to what is God's? This is the level at which we make decisions. If you're called upon to make decisions of more complexity, then you don't need to worry about it. God always equips people for their purpose, so you'll have everything you need. When I was in high school, our choir sang a piece that has always lingered with me. The lyrics were written in the 1800s by the poet James Russell Lowell. I'm sure you've heard these at some time. Once to every man and nation comes a moment to decide. In the strife of truth and falsehood for the good or evil side, some great cause, some great decision offering each the bloom or blight, and the choice goes on forever twixt the darkness and that light. By the light of burning martyrs, Christ Thy bleeding feet we track, toiling up new calvaries ever with the cross that turns not back. New occasions teach new duties, ancient values test our youth. They must upward still and onward who would keep abreast of truth. 
Though the cause of evil prosper, yet the truth alone is strong. Though her portion be the scaffold and upon the throne be wrong, yet that scaffold sways the future. And behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. Once or many times, for every person or every nation comes the moment to decide. That's the line that sticks with me at various times in my life. Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide. What and how we decide has consequences. One of which is that God is watching. Watching lovingly and protectively. But God is watching. And God never ceases to invite us toward that purpose which is mapped out for us. And if we follow, follow Christ and follow our purpose, God will honor us. God will honor us. God has made a promise to us, a whole raft of promises, actually. Isn't it about time we started acting like we believe them? Like we believe them. Let us go to God in prayer. God, we skip along through our lives and really think we're in charge. We we think we've got so many choices and, and like we, we just have to chart our way for ourselves. But help us to remember you long ago charted a course for us, an individual path for our lives. Give us the courage to check in with you often, to stay true to what that purpose is so that someday we may feel your blessing and your honor. In the name of Jesus, amen.